calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. From the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. Listen to mysteries about true histories on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the most and keeper of the strangest, spookiest tales on Earth. Today is another Ivy's chilling tale. This blood-sucking tale, Story Club members, might make you wear a garlic t-shirt to bed to avoid vampires. It's one I call Island of Blood. Archer Pierce approached the dark island in a small boat. The wind over the water tasseled his hair. He was searching for a vampire, any vampire. Although he was only 12 years old, Archer was a certified vampire hunter. He went on nightly search and destroy missions trying to find the blood-sucking creatures. Why did Archer Pierce have it out for vampires, you ask? Well, you see, he was an orphan, and vampires were the reason. Archer had started out like any normal kid. He went to school, acted in plays, played shortstop on the junior baseball team, and competed in the science fair. He had loved his life as much as he'd loved his parents. His father worked for the Department of Defense, designing weapon systems for the U.S. military, and his mother worked as an analyst for a major software manufacturer. Archer's parents were a great inspiration. They showered him with love and taught him self-reliance. He had a bright future. Then it was all cut short. One night when Archer was 11, he was spending the night at a friend's house while his parents went out to a restaurant. They never came home. Later, he learned on the television that a group of vampires, called a brood, had attacked that same restaurant. After that, Archer was sent to live with his grandmother. He vowed vengeance upon vampires. Soon, using the skills his mother had taught him from her job as an analyst, Archer was able to track down activity that was reported by vampire hunters on various websites. Archer found a pair of night vision goggles among his father's things. His father, who'd followed medieval history and warfare, also had a crossbow and the arrows. It proved to be the perfect tool for his work. With it, Archer wouldn't have to get very close to a vampire in order to neutralize it. At first, Archer was able to lead a normal life, more or less. He attended school during the day and kept up with his studies. At night, however, after his grandmother fell asleep, he would confer with other vampire hunters either by phone or email, and they would help each other track down their vampire enemies. 
Finally, his searching had led him to Blood Island. There was a report of vampires hiding out on the remote island during the day and venturing to the mainland at night to attack humans. Archer coordinated a second destroy strike on Blood Island with his fellow vigilantes. A successful mission to the island could be a major blow to the blood-sucking population. But Archer was impatient, so he took a boat and went off by himself. Wearing his father's night vision goggles, he kept down low in the drifting boat and scanned the beach. Everything looked greeny green and black through the goggles. They used all existing light, even starlight, and made the scene look plain as day. But he saw nothing on the pebbly shore that resembled Nosferatu activity. Archer rowed toward shore. He would have used the onboard motor, but now that he was so close, he couldn't risk the noise. About a hundred feet from the beach, he spotted someone, a woman. Peering through the goggles, he estimated that she was in her early 20s. She was dressed like any normal person, like a college student, but vampires looked different. When you gazed at humans through the goggles, they looked like they were painted in greens and grays, but not vampires. Their skin appeared transparent, almost invisible, just like the woman on the shore. Luckily, she was sitting alone, her back to him. Archer wasn't sure what she was doing, but it didn't matter. He only needed to get close enough with his crossbow. Once she was within firing range, he slowly stood up and raised his crossbow. He placed a bolt on the crossbow frame, aimed, and prepared to fire. But he wasn't used to standing up in the boat. He fell into the ocean. Splash! The night vision goggles shorted out in the salt water, and he was temporarily blind. His body was numb from the icy water. Shivering, he clutched his weapon. He gasped for breath, but sucked in only water. He struggled to reach the surface, but couldn't. He was suspended upside down underwater. The cuff of his pants caught on the boat's oarlock. Holding the crossbow with one hand, he struggled to free his leg, but he couldn't. He was running out of air. His mind started to go black. But then, slender, pale arms reached out into the water and grabbed him by the collar of his jacket. The arms pulled him out of the ocean. Before he knew it, Archer was on the beach, spitting up water, coughing and gasping for breath. Miraculously, he still held his crossbow, and the boat was still in place. When Archer came to his senses, he knew someone, or something, loomed over him. Jumping up, he trained his crossbow at the shadow. The pale woman stood in his crossbow sights, gazing at him with a gentle curiosity. My name is Archer Pierce, he heard himself say, and I'm a vampire hunter, prepare to die. But the vampire stood her ground. For the first time since he'd been hunting, Archer didn't know what to do. This bloodsucker wasn't attacking him. In fact, it had saved his life. If it wasn't for her, he wouldn't be breathing. He would be lying at the bottom of the ocean. But if it weren't for the vampires, he wouldn't even be here as his parents would still be alive. I saved your life, human, the vampire said. I intend no harm. I could have done whatever I wanted to by now. But I know you're kind, and I understand why you're here. I ask only for the same mercy that I have shown you. Archer was frozen in place. He shivered from the icy water, but he kept his crossbow trained on the vampire. Archer, don't move, buddy, he heard a voice say. I got your back. 
It was Lane Coyle, another vampire hunter. Lane was a 29-year-old woman who used to teach preschool. Now, she was a full-time vampire hunter. No, wait, Archer said. Don't shoot. Have you flipped? Lane said. That's a Nightwalker and we've got it. I know, he said. I know. He felt his finger on the trigger of the crossbow, but he didn't squeeze. Not yet. Looks like Archer Pierce is in a bit of a dilemma. Decisions, decisions. <laughs> Hello there, Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the most and keeper of the strangest, spookiest tales on Earth. Today is another Ivy's chilling tale. This spectral tale, Story Club members, might make you stay out of creepy basements. It's one I call Terror by Flashlight. As I've told you before, beloved listeners, I grew up in West Seattle and attended Grimsbridge High before finding my way to you and telling scary stories. One of my first ghost stories, though, happened really early on, right after my mom passed away. My mom and I lived in this old 19th century apartment building called the Montague Arms. It had been converted to apartments sometime in the 1900s. I was just living with her because I never really knew my dad. As I mentioned before, going to school was pretty tough for me, as I was often called Icky Ivy because of my love of all things horror and the macabre, like, you know, R.L. Stein's Goosebumps and Fear Street books, and later a healthy obsession with Stephen King novels. But I digress. The point is that I pushed through the bullying, and before you knew it, it was the fall of my 18th year. My mom had passed away from cancer only a few months before my 18th birthday, and I'd graduated from high school, so I was out on my own, and feeling pretty lonely. A neighbor on the same floor of the Montague Arms invited me to a Halloween party. He'd see me in the halls wearing a Beetlejuice t-shirt, so he knew I was down for everything October 31st. In fact, I was so obsessed with the day, my locker combination at school was 1031. And anytime I looked at the clock and it read 1031, I would instantly yell, Halloween. Yeah, you can say I'm a bit of a fan of the jack-o'-lantern season. So this guy from the building, Kyle Dippler, who was actually kind of cute and seemed nice, invited me over when I was feeling down in the dumps. I and my only friend in the world at the time, Willow Yates, headed off to Kyle's Halloween party. I wasn't really used to people asking me to attend things and I felt a little anxious about going. Willow kept telling me it would be totally fine, but it turned out to be a Halloween night we would never forget. Willow and I decided to dress up like the creepy twins from The Shining movie. Because we look absolutely nothing alike, I have jet black hair and Willow's a blonde, we thought it'd be funny. I'd found a couple of vintage bridesmaids dresses at a thrift store down the street that were the same robin's egg blue like the ghostly ones the twins wear in the movie. We also caked on a lot of pale foundation and also painted heavy shadows around our eyes to make our appearances scarier. We were in Kyle's apartment with a dozen or so of his friends playing root beer pong when the lights suddenly went out. Everyone stood around in the dark making jokes about angry ghosts not liking what we were doing in their building. While we waited around in the dark for what seemed like an eternity, Kyle stepped out and called the power company. They said there wasn't any electricity out in the area and that the power outage was localized, meaning somebody had killed the power switch in the basement. Kyle was actually the assistant manager of the building, so he had the keys. With the elevators out of service, he had to take the stairs down to the basement to try and fix the problem. I wanted to tag along with him, and Willow didn't want to be left alone at the party where she didn't know anyone, so she came along. The three of us descended the ten flights of stairs to the creepy old boiler room in the basement. 
The place was unsettling in the daytime. Imagine what it was like at night while using flashlights and candles to navigate. Along the way, Kyle was telling us about Harry Slade. Harry Slade had been the janitor who worked at the Montague Arms about a hundred years ago. He'd been accused of murdering a teenage girl resident, but at the trial, Harry had been acquitted for the lack of evidence. An outraged mob who lived in the building eventually cornered Harry Slade in the boiler room where he lived and worked, and took their own justice. Since then, it's rumored that anything weird that happens in the apartment building is angry Harry Slade's ghost getting revenge. I thought it was a pretty cool story, but Willow did not. She completely freaked out. She did not want to go into the boiler room with us to flip the power switch. But she didn't want to be alone in the stairwell either. I held her hand so she would calm down. When we entered the boiler room, water was dripping from somewhere. There were boxes of old newspapers, and a couple of rats scurried away from our lights. It was literally like something out of a horror movie. Just as the electricity company thought, Kyle said, aiming his light. Sure enough, the power switch had been pulled. But the weird thing is that there was a locked chain link around the power box. That means somebody with a key would have had to open it, snap off the power, then relock it. Only Kyle had the key. So how had the power switch been flipped? And why? Could it be that the ghost of Harry Slade was mad because we were all upstairs having a good time at the party? As Kyle tried to slip his key into the lock, it was knocked out of his hand by some unseen force. This was before I knew my psychic friend Autumn Nash, so I could only guess that the sudden negative energy and cold that filled the boiler room was a tormented spirit. Kyle ran up the stairs screaming, not caring if Willow or I followed him. Willow was screaming, so I grabbed her hand and we rushed up the stairs and out of the boiler room. Behind us stood a man in dingy gray overalls with a name patch that said Harry. He had a huge crescent wrench in his ghostly hands. Don't come back here again, the ghost of Harry Slade screamed. His voice was loud, like thunder. Well, we never did go back down there. The Halloween party was over, and Willow and I left. We went to a late night movie to get away from the building. After that, I sold the condo as soon as I could. The memory of my mother and the ghost of Harry Slade were way too much to carry. Maybe someday I'll go back there with Autumn to see if she can cleanse the Montague arms of its angry spirit. Someday. <laughs> Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features, like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. Do you like to laugh? Ah, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So, okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you, and the episodes feature laughs, burps, and the occasional unicorn. 
So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello again, Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the most and keeper of the strangest, spookiest tales on Earth. Today is another Ivy's chilling tale. This hairy tale, Story Club members, might make you not want to stay outside after dark. It's one I call the Midnight Werewolf. The man-beast snarled and roamed the quiet residential street. Rowan Morrison couldn't believe what he saw, and he was too afraid to move or even breathe. He'd been heading home from the park where he was playing with his friends, Brett and Easton. It was 6 o'clock and the sun had gone down. The January full moon, known as the Wolf's Moon, was already rising into the night sky, round and pale like a skull. Riding his bike home, Rowan thought he'd heard a wolf's howl, but that's crazy, right? There weren't any wolves close by. Wolves roamed the east in the snow-capped mountains, at least 50 miles away from where he lived. Yeah, there was an occasional coyote he'd hear yipping in the night, but coyotes were a far cry from what Rowan was looking at right now. A tall, hunched-over figure prowling through the quiet street. The creature resembled pictures of gray timber wolves he'd seen, but this one was walking on two legs, and it was wearing ripped jeans and a red and black flannel shirt, which was also frayed. It's like the wolf had grown too large for its clothes. So that means it must have been a person at one time, right? But, Rowan reasoned with himself, werewolves don't exist. They were only in movies and books only, not in the real world. Not here, not now. Still, Rowan couldn't rationalize what he saw on the street, as plain as the bitter winter chill in the air. This was a werewolf on the prowl. Rowan had carefully, quietly set his bicycle down. Now, he worked up the nerve to peek around from the large sycamore tree he'd been hiding behind. The werewolf was stopped and sniffing the air. Rowan shuddered. It was on to him. Then a dog barked, distracting the beast. Rowan made a run for it. He didn't grab his bike, as he'd figured it'd make too much noise, and by the time he'd pick it up and get going, the wolf would be upon him. Nope. Rowan figured his best bet was to speed home as quietly as possible in his sneakers. As he sprinted away, his favorite red baseball cap fell to the ground. Who cares? Rowan thought to himself as he crossed his front yard and dove into the safety of his house. Except in the process of sprinting away, he dropped his red baseball cap he had on his head. I'll just come back for my hat and bike in the morning when it's safe. Rowan tried to tell his parents about what he'd seen, but his dad was on a business call and his mom was distracted, watching one of the true crime documentaries she was obsessed with on YouTube. Whatever. His friends would believe him. So he called Brett and Easton, telling them what he saw, but they just laughed at him. Feeling defeated, Rowan went to his room, opened his closet, and put his jacket away. He wished he had his favorite lucky red hat, but he'd just have to retrieve it tomorrow morning, assuming somebody else hadn't found it by then. He played Plants vs. Zombies on his tablet before heading to bed. Despite the shock of having seen an actual living, breathing werewolf, Rowan fell right to sleep. As he drifted off, Rowan decided he'd make it his personal mission to find out who the werewolf was in his town. 
Somebody in his rural burg was not who they appeared to be. Maybe they'd been bitten by a werewolf and were now one themselves. At least that's how it worked in the movies he'd seen. This one was wearing jeans and a flannel shirt, but he'd seen many people in town wearing that. It might be hard to narrow down his list of suspects based on the clothing. Whatever. Somebody had to warn people that there was a werewolf prowling around in town before it claimed its first victim. If only his parents and friends believed him. Well, tomorrow he'd work on convincing them again. He'd even get a photo of the beast if he had to for proof. Maybe he'd have to wait until the next full moon in February, but he'd do it by gosh. Rowan was dreaming of a werewolf hot on his heels. In the dream, Rowan had climbed through a hole in the fence and the lycanthrope was ripping at the wooden slats to get at him. Rowan then woke up with a start to the sounds of scratching. That wasn't in his dream. The sound was coming from somewhere in his room, and it was freezing. That's when he realized that not only was his window wide open, but the scratching was coming from just outside it. The werewolf, it had somehow found him. Rowan didn't dare to move. He was too petrified to even scream and closed his eyes tight in hopes of this living nightmare going away. Then suddenly, peals of laughter erupted from the open window. Huh? Rowan opened his eyes to see Easton and Brett crouched down outside the window. What are you idiots doing? He whispered angrily at them. We're the werewolf. We're gonna get ya, Easton growled. Yeah, beast mode, Brett said, and they both cracked up. I saw what I saw. Sure you did. Come on outside. Let's go throw the ball around the park. It's so light out here, it's practically noon. Didn't I tell you there's a monster loose out there? It'll kill us and rip us to pieces. In your dreams, weirdo, Brett said. Come on, Easton said. Don't be a scared little wimp. So what if he was the cautious one of the group? Well, he'd show them tonight. He'd have to sneak out with Brett and Easton. The clock on his nightstand said it was midnight, and his parents would definitely be mad if he went out this late without supervision. He'd need his coat, scarf, gloves, and stocking cap for this winter chill. Rowan went to his closet to get them. As he opened his closet door, the smell of rotten meat assaulted Rowan's nostrils. Hot breath singed his eyebrows. He was staring face to face with the werewolf he'd spotted on the street earlier. And in its gnarled paw, the werewolf held Rowan's red baseball cap. And that was the last thing Rowan saw before the other paw swiped at him. Whoa. This scary story goes out to Ro Youngren, who at age four gave me the inspiration and outline for this wild tale. Way to go, Ro. If you liked The Midnight Werewolf or have ideas you want to share, hit me up at ivy at gokidgo.com and let me know. And come back tomorrow for another episode, because every Story Club member needs a little scare every day. Ivy out. Go, kid, go. Hi, my name's Ren, and my best friend Drac is a vampire. Oh, but before you freak out, let me explain. Drac isn't like other vampires. He doesn't thirst for blood, he thirsts for knowledge. Each week, we hop into the Coffin of Curiosity for a spooktacular adventure to learn about everything and anything, from how the sun works to why we burp. We have lots of fun, so join us. I promise that the only thing Drac will drink up is information, okay? Worst case scenario, he squirts you with some sunscreen. <laughs>
Search for Jack on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts for the ride of your life. Whee!